Boy, do we have a lot of stuff to cover today. Welcome back to Texas State Spit Talk. We're here talking some Texas State athletics and other news. Of course, we have a ton of just good quality uh, stuff to go through today. Joining me to my right is Riley Chestnut, Peyton Hill along across from me, Brendan Snow to my left, my Sam Marcus Rattler's partner. You're in the, my name is Reed Graff. You're listening to Texas State Spit Talk. And with our name being Texas State Spit Talk, we're of course going to talk a lot of Texas State football as Texas State football is right around the corner September 1st. They're going to be taking on Rutgers at Rutgers, looking for a comeback season after only winning four games in the last two seasons, looking to really rebound. And they have been at it a lot recently. But before we get into that, I want to talk to you guys. How are you guys doing today? Pretty good. Had a pretty solid you know, weekend last weekend, good week so far. School's coming up around the corner. Things starting to pick up. A lot of things happening this weekend. That tweet there, uh, alcohol one, wisdom zero. What What's the process there? Was it just a, a pretty long weekend? Let's not, let's not put my boy Brandon I, on black. I, I can understand why that's confusing. <laughs> my roommate's name is Wisdom. Wisdom. Oh, so Wisdom oh. lost alcohol. <laughs> so Wisdom's yes. the one that lost. <laughs> is that y'all's fifth roommate? Fourth. Fourth. Okay. <laughs> Goodness. Peyton, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Of course, uh, Peyton, you met the legendary Parker Ray this past week. I really did. And uh, you survived to tell the tale. Yes, I did. It's terrifying, uh, isn't it? He's a, yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, very nice. No, he's uh, very scary. Good <laughs> good, good's not the word I'd use. Uh, uh, <laughs> you're right. Uh, uh, if he's listening to this, I apologize for all these uh, hot takes that you enjoy so much. Um, <laughs> anywho, but yeah, uh, everything's going good. Very busy. Have things every single day. But it keeps keeps me going. Keeps you going? Yeah, Riley, what about you, honestly. Mr. Sports Director? Uh, well, uh, I don't really know. I don't really know. You're kind of in that state. You just don't know how I, life is. I don't know. I have no school. I, I live in an apartment by myself because the room below me is too expensive to rent out right now for any terrified student. Sounds so good. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a bachelor pad minus the bachelor part. <laughs> is well, it just I've a had pad? a terrible week, guys. I've had a terrible week. Well, that terrible. sucks. Because the Houston Astros have scored... 13 runs in the past week, and 12 of those came yesterday. That's pretty good. They won yesterday. Super lulls. They're like one for eight right now. And and like, at did you, home. Did you, did, you, did you guys break your home losing streak? Was yes, it we did. 12-1 over like, Colorado. It was like six games in a row, and it, w- it was rough. Was it Oakland one game back? Or was the change? They are two games back two now games. because the uh, Seattle Mariners did us a solid and, and beat them yesterday. D. Gordon. You're my new favorite Seattle Mariner, <laughs> at least for like a couple of days. Robbie Cano came back yesterday. He did. He did. The uh, – Head user. Uh, but hey, <laughs> that's a conversation for another day. Let's go ahead and jump into what we're going to talk about today, which is Texas State football. Texas State is coming right around the corner. Rutgers, September 1st. Be ready to watch that. It's going to be at noon. going to be a good game. Uh, hopefully. We hope it's going to be a hopefully. good game. You never know, though. We've talked about that on the last podcast. Today, I want to focus on this past weekend. They had their first official uh, open door scrimmage. I wasn't able to be there. Because I had work, I, which I no longer work there. I'm not going to say where, but I wasn't a, was unable to be there. Riley, you were there, though. Uh, general takeaways. The wide receivers are really, really good from what I saw. Now, I know going up against a secondary that is on hopefully on the come up, that they had room to make a few mistakes. Maybe. Which we are going to get into. Yes, yes, we will. But what I took away from it was my boy Willie Jones still looks like a pretty good pick to be the starter. From what I saw, he looked calm, comfortable every single step, and when the play broke down, he could go with it. And meanwhile, on the other end of it, his wide receivers, they looked really solid. They threw a lot of screen passes. You saw some guys like Ladarius Harris, who's a first-time running back, now really make a few good plays, and you're like, wow. The depth on this, t- the depth on this team, sorry, I had to restress that word, it's it's promising. It it actually makes you think like we have some really good talent from top to bottom. You know, one of the things that really that really excited me is when I was I wasn't able to be there, but I was keeping up with it through Kef Cardello. Uh of course, old Kef always keeping us updated on Twitter. He was doing his own little play by play on Twitter, which was which was great. But um, I was keeping up with him and some of the things that I was getting from him, and, and of course Castillo, Nick Castillo, another guy works for the San Marcos Daily Record. Uh, and what they what they were saying was the wide receivers looked really good, as you said. But what really stood out was the freshmen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jacoby Hopkins made a really good catch at one point. Javon uh, Banks too had a great day. Uh, Jamari Sharid made made a really big play, and he's a guy I really liked coming out of Houston Cypress Springs. Just a electric electricity in a bottle. And Tyler Watts put something on Instagram saying, "Why not have one when you can have two? Saying he's very similar to him. I see a lot of that. I mean, Sharid is just a lightning in a bottle. 
and I think we'll see him do some things this year. So that was really promising to me. Uh, Riley, you mentioned Willie Jones. One of the things I heard on meet on Texas State's you on you heard it right here on KDSW. We had the media day, of course. Brant Freeman, Bill Colhane did their broadcast, and when they talked to the offensive coordinator Zach Cooler, one of the things he said was the quarterbacks, the way that they're ranking them this year, they're keeping them on a point system, right? And every day they gain or lose points. All three of the quarterbacks are one point within each other. Yeah, it's really good competition right now. And so, in the what what they're saying is. They're confident with all three of them. Both they could go week one. You could see Willie Jones. You could see the freshman Tyler Vitt. It could be Jalen Gibson. So right now the job's up for grabs. What I want to ask you, Riley, you mentioned Willie Jones. We know Tyler Vitt, other than throwing an interception, looked pretty good as well. All three of them are big guys who are over six foot one that can run. Did any of them make a bit of a statement saying, "Hey, I'm the guy"? Well, not so much themselves, but more from what I took away from what Coach was saying afterwards on the scrimmage on that turf that was boiling like the sun. <laughs> this is this was his quote right here. I thought Willie Coach Withers, by the way, the head coach. I thought Willie Jones did some really good things and looked really sharp. I'd expect nothing less, of course, in this QB arms race, being that Jones has the advantage in most qualified spots to be the go-to guy for what again the only guy to play last year. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Jalen Gibson, while he Looked really sharp. He still turned it over in the end zone. Tyler Vid, according to Coach Withers, said, looked like a freshman out there at the scrimmage. He's got some catching up to do, but he's really smart. He adjusted late, so I like that side, that Tyler Vid was making good adjustments later on, and it seemed like that was the main key. But just from what I saw with Willie Jones, he looked solid from the get-go. He didn't make any mistakes that ended up costing the team, other than maybe standing around the pocket too long, not relying on his legs. I do like that he's trying to go to the pocket more, Prove that he can be a better passer as opposed to what we all think is his skill is more running. So to see that from Willie Jones and the couple of the catches made by the receivers in traffic and on the sidelines, like Jacoby Hopkins, he made an all-law vintage Dez sideline catch. It was incredible. You know, and, and Jacoby Hopkins was the number two guy in our class from last year, was number one at one point. Uh, so he is a very talented guy, had SEC offers. So bringing a guy like that, you can expect to see him getting some touches. Brandon, what were you going to say? I was going to touch on, he's talking about Willie Jones uh, staying in the pocket. I wasn't at this, the oh, the practice. I was in the studio actually doing Brandon and uh, Bill's show. So you heard but, everything. But from the spring game that I went to, obviously, back in the spring, that's what impressed me most about Willie Jones. Him staying in the pocket, him not looking to bail out too early, take off. He wants to make plays with his arm first and then look to run. I don't see it could be a problem maybe late in the future like Riley said staying in the pocket too long I think that's not gonna be too bad of a habit for him unless that's what they're really preaching Mm -hmm. but him you know making himself a weapon with his arm first will do so much for the offense and when me and Riley talked to Willie Jones at at, uh, at the football media day he seemed pretty confident in like him him going to start uh as like him just sitting there he kind of had that he had that demeanor. And demeanor. the fact air about him. And the yeah. fact that he was the only quarterback at the media day, it'd be kind of a letdown if you let a guy yeah. go out and talk for you and then you say, no, nope, he's going to be number two. But to counter what you just said, I don't want to get into this too much. Frankie Griffin wasn't there. And you can make an argument that he's your best defensive player. So Or Ishmael. They were resting a couple of guys that day. Well, yeah, for sure. But it was just – anyway, I want to move on to my next question for you guys. Before we get into the secondary, because one of the things – on the agenda today for us. We're going to really dive into the secondary of the Texas State Bobcats, look at the guys who are going to step up. Riley, at the media day, you got some really good audio from a couple of the key players in that secondary. We'll get to that here in a minute. I want to ask you guys, what unit will be the most improved in 2018? And then follow that up with what unit needs to improve the most for the team to be successful in 2018. Brendan, we'll start with you. Cool. Well, staying pretty much on topic, I said the team that will improve the most is it's going to be the secondary. One, uh, kind of helps because how kind of poor they were last year makes it a little bit easier to trend upwards. Mm-hmm. But only, really, way up is, only way up is up. Exactly, but one thing I really think when I'm talking about enough is them bringing in Chris Woods as defense coordinator. He's well-experienced. He has a history of putting out uh, Division two National Players of the Year at linebacker. He's a linebacking coach. Mm-hmm. We know our linebacking core is great. I think the linebacking core continue to be good, be better. They'll help. You know, kind of control the middle of the field, help with the pass rush, all that. It's going to open up more for the secondary, a more experienced secondary, a more athletic secondary, uh, putting some, you know, different players back there. I think the secondary is going to be a whole different story this season. Peyton? I think the secondary wide receivers and cornerbacks, touching on what Riley said, are going, or like, are the most uh, likely promising, you know, to, to come up and try to take that uprising spot. The current wide receivers going up for Texas State, uh, 
said that they had very big amounts of fire in their bellies. Uh, T. Watts to get, being there. Yeah, the T. Watts. Tyler Watts and Hutch White. Hutch, Hutch White, yeah. is who I'm thinking yeah, of. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things that I want to mention real quick before we go to you, Riley, is when you, when you talk to the coaches and they talked about the depth on the team, the two spots you hear the most about, uh, linebackers, of course, you were expecting to hear that. Linebackers, you have John Brandon coming up. Looks like he's the next big he linebacker. A, he made a few good plays. Oh, he's a beast. Scrimmage. He's a he beast. Got, he got two touches on Willie Jones to make a sack. He was a three-star linebacker coming out of high school. He's a, he's a, he's a good-looking dude. And, yeah, the nose tackle spot, Savion Patton looked really good at the scrimmage today. Of course, Coach Withers has been saying he's had a really good mm-hmm. camp so far. So I, I like the promise up the middle for our defense. And then you have Frankie Griffin on the outside, Brian London. So the Scary. linebacking core is Al not – Vincent's no yeah, joke. Yeah, it, no, nothing, nothing to sneeze at. So that, But we knew the linebacking core. But if you talk to the coaches, the other spot they say is going to be deep is that wide receiving core. And, I mean, and as we talk about the receiving core, we f- we're talking about the freshmen, you know, uh, Sharid and Hopkins and Banks, and we forget to talk about the guys that have been there for a while, yeah. you know, uh, like Tyler, Tyler Watts, Watts and Hutch White and Mason Hayes. So that shows you how deep that spot is in general. But uh, I want to go back to the point, Riley, which unit will be the most improved and which one needs to be the most improved? Uh, I'm going to do a reverse side. The unit that needs to be most improved, obviously, is the secondary D-backs. Those guys need to be most improved because college football being as as deadly an air attack game as it has ever been football in general being more passer friendly or oriented, mm-hmm. your secondary cannot be what it was last year and you expect to win football games. We gave up too many yards in the year. Texas State gave up too many long Here, touchdowns. I got a stat for you. Yeah. Texas State averaged 205 passing yards per game for them. That's how much we averaged. And against? And opponents averaged 297. You cannot do that. Goodness. 21 touchdowns through the air. 3,500 total yards through the air. Don't need that. We give, that's, that's given up. Yeah. Secondary needs to be the we, most important. We gave up 1,000 more passing yards than we got. Yeah. So secondary needs to be the most improved. Who I think will be the most improved is sticking with what I saw out there at, at scrimmage. The wide receivers are going to be the most improved mm-hmm. because you have a lot more of those athletic kind of guys that can go out and make the big play. And Coach Withers said it at the media day when he was standing in front of the podium addressing all the cameras. He's like, the biggest surprise of fall scrimmage so far is that the number of wide receivers who can go out and make a big play mm-hmm. is up so much more from last year. For sure. I think personally, one of the spots I think is going to be a much improved, and this is a spot that's not getting talked about a lot, is running back. Yeah. You're going to get what you're going to get from Anthony Smith. He's going he's, he's to get a little bit better. He's well, going to be what Anthony he was. Anthony D. Taylor. Taylor, my bad. Yeah. And then, but you also have to remember, Caleb Twyford, who was a very athletic wide receiver, coming out of high school has been moved to running back and if you listen to media day the coaches were talking about how he looks natural at running back he's got bounce at running back he's explosive so you're going to see that from him you also have a lot of that in Jalen Nelson it's a very similar type of guy explosive speedy back so you have small but he's strong yeah so you have a good mix of power backs and then some you know touchdown guys so I think running back is going to be a spot that's really going to catch opponents posing defenses off guard because as we all know here all three of y'all have mentioned it the wide receiving core is going to be good it's going to be stronger this year so defenses are going to focus on that while they're focusing on that Aaron Brewer and that and that running back and that offensive line is going to be opening holes for their running backs and they're going to be gashing quarterbacks and that's another thing as well the quarterbacks can run too all three of them uh, and I, I, I saw another quote from Media Day. I don't know who it was from, but they mentioned how Jalen Gibson regularly beats Willie Jones in foot races. And you would think Willie Jones is the most athletic guy on the team. So at the quarterback position. Yeah. So uh, that's an interesting thing to know. Anything to know. But what unit needs to improve the improve the most? I really want to say pass rush, but I got to stick with the theme. It's got to be the secondary. Mm-hmm. And that segues really good into what we're going to talk about next. I wanted to take an in depth look. And not only the secondary and how they need to improve, how they're going to improve, but the guys that they're going to make up that secondary. And a good way to do that is to meet some of them. Now, Riley, we've mentioned media day. Uh, you and Mark got to go up there and meet a couple guys. Along with and, this and man Peyton, right here. Of course, Peyton Hello. was there. Uh, <laughs> and Riley, you, you, the, the audio that I picked, it was mostly you. Before we get into it, it was this is interviewing safeties, Deshaun Waddy, A.J. Krozik, and then one of the cornerbacks. Anthony J. Taylor. Anthony J. Taylor, one of the guys we're going to look to. Uh, before we really get into the interview, why don't you set it up a little bit? What did you see from them? Uh, you mentioned before we went live how AJ was happy, ready to go. Uh, what do you see from those guys? Because they're obviously going to be the leaders of the secondary. Anticipation, like boiled over anticipation. They are really, really excited about where this team can go. And they should be. For a guy like Krozik who's had to switch multiple positions from offense and then play defense last year as the, as the big safety, what you see out there along with Jay Sean Wadi, 
who was fine. He had a bit of a, an injury scare. He had at some the injuries. He, yeah, and even at the scrimmage, he got the wind knocked out of him a little bit and didn't play the rest of the way from that scrimmage on, but he looked like and he sounded like he was okay. So no scare there from the scrimmage that happened last Saturday. Anthony J. Taylor, of course, boiling over with anticipation. And like I said, A.J. Krawczyk looked like a kid that was just happy to be back in school with all of his friends. <laughs> he was giddy. Mm-hmm. You could read it off of him very well. He was just excited about what's to come for the secondary every single player was so excited to play rutgers like they're like yeah like you said they were boiling over anticipation and every single one of them mentioned something about man we just can't wait to play this first game just to see what it's like because it's going to put them to the test for sure for sure it's going to be a good game along with wadi switching positions cornerback to safety it's a bit of a difference there so he, he seems like he's up for the challenge which i'm excited for considering this dude was probably our Outside of Krawczyk, our best secondary player last year, and well, they, he did that all with a hurt shoulder. Yeah, he's going to be a, he's going to be a big player. Why don't we go ahead and cut to that interview real quick? Uh, so here's Riley Riley Chestnut, sports director, interviewing a couple of the secondary players: AJ Krawczyk, Jashawn Wadi, and Anthony J. Taylor. Dressing the table all around. Obviously, secondary is a big part of any great college football team. There's a lot of improvements, of course, to be made, I'm sure, on y'all's end from last year and what you saw. So what have y'all been working on this offseason to make sure the secondary keeps on improving? I'd say we, one of the most things we worked on is communication, uh, making sure that everybody's on the same page. That's Because usually what happens is one side will be different than the other, and then you don't have a good defense going. It's got to be all 11. Even if the call is wrong, if you make a check and everybody's on the same page as that check, you can run that defense. But if you're on different pages and everybody's on a different page, it will not work. The defense just simply will not work. Um, I would say one thing we've really been working on is just being our, our technique. We want to be technicians on the field. And for the corner room, we've just really been working on just really just understanding the game of football from a corner standpoint, you know, looking at different formations and trying to understand, like, passing concepts and where the quarterback would be looking or what route, type of routes the wide receivers would be running. Now, new defensive coordinator this year from Coach McCray, now in Arizona, and Chris Woods from Oklahoma. What have been some of the adjustments you've made uh, outside of concept, just as a person? How has been working with Coach Woods a little bit different from Coach McCray over this last year? Uh, I would say it's, it's been a good good transition as far as like going smooth, no, no great big issues or anything like that. I think just learning to be able to take coaching from two different personalities like that is something different. They're pretty close similarities in uh, character, and uh, they both expect you to be as good as you push yourself to be or as good as you can be. Two great guys and two trustworthy guys and just want to ball out for both of them. So. Now, a major theme from what I've taken from the first couple of tables so far is leadership, accountability, and especially the leadership part. Y'all bring on a lot of new people, a lot of new guys on the defensive backs in. What has it been like stepping up and assuming more of a leadership role and taking some of these younger DBs under your wings? I would say being older, you see a lot more, and so you just have more experience in, than what they see, and you just want to guide them in the right way. And, uh, and it goes the other way. They have to want to listen and want to learn, and that's, that's huge. If they don't want to listen and learn, you can't change somebody personally. So, I mean, they've come in and they've listened. They've, they've learned. They want to get after it. They want to see what they can do and improve. And, uh, I mean, that's big time when a, a freshman class comes in and wants to be better than the last freshman class. So it just keeps building and building and get better and better. Welcome back to Texas State Spit Talk. That was a great interview, and you just saw confidence from those guys, didn't you, Riley? Oh, yeah, I did. And, again, nothing is going to keep these guys from going out there and wanting to go and do what they want to do now that they're learning more from guys like Chris Woods, who's bringing in a lot of the similar growth that they made last year and that they're still keeping the 3-4 defense with the safeties playing very much strong. Cornerbacks are going to be covering very, very well. Guys like Dennis Johnson Jr., I think, at 6-4 are going to be a big, big difference. And I feel like... This secondary is revamped, re-energized, and they're ready to go. Let's go ahead and dive into that secondary. And I don't think you can start anywhere else but at senior safety, A.J. Krawczyk. Every time you hear from this guy, he just 
oozes leadership and confidence. This is the guy, when you talk about Texas State defense, this is who you want to talk to. Exactly right. He, he knows this defense better than anybody. He's a former walk-on. He came in as a running back and a wide receiver, made the transition his junior year, never looked back. He's not a huge guy, 5'11", 195, might be overstating that. He's really strong, though. But he's, he's a big, strong guy. He's athletic. He's smart. Last year, he started all 12 games. After moving, ranked third on the team and 25th in the conference with 74 tackles. His 55 solo tackles led the Bobcats. This is your defensive captain. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about it. This is the defensive captain. Him and Brian London. Absolutely. Brian London, for sure. You have mm-hmm. to mention uh, uh, below whenever you're talking about this defense. But uh, when we're looking at the secondary, you look no further than A.J. Krasik. No, he's the insurance, like any good secondary player is. That free safety or that strong safety, that's the last line of defense from giving up the big pass play. And so what we're going to see here this year is how AJ, after him and the secondary have been learning these new concepts, how can they anticipate what's to come from the receiving court that they're going to face each given game? And that's really going to tell whether or not the secondary has made a huge improvement. And that's what I'm looking forward to see what uh, AJ does with all these young, you know, kind of unexperienced guys at the corners. Because AJ, AJ, he's not he's not the biggest guy out there. He's not the most athletic guy out there. But he might be the smartest guy out there. And he's mm-hmm. certainly got heart to have to walk on to a school, start at running back, then they're going to move you to wide receiver, and then they're like, no, you're going to play safety. Exactly. Doing he's got to catch. And see what he can do, you know, help these other pl- these other young players out. Uh, one guy jumped off the page to me, Tyrese Hurd. For sure. Well, uh, I think he was the top-rated guy I'm pretty sure he was our top recruit in this past class. You heard the uh, good Tyrese news? Tyrese Hurd out of Teague, Texas, Teague High School, mm-hmm. six foot 180, freak athlete. Returner of the year for his district. He did everything offensively and defensively. Uh, Anthony J. Taylor, we saw he's going to be getting a lot of burn at corner. And um, he was in that interview as well. You heard from him. Uh, he's probably going to be your number one corner, I would assume. Yeah, he's, definitely. He's definitely up there. Yeah. Uh, and you also have to keep looking deeper. Deshaun Waddy, we mentioned him. He's going to get a lot of playing time. He does have some injury history. Yeah. Uh, so you, that's something to keep an eye on. But he's tough. Some, he guys, some guys we could see this year, uh, other than what you just, you just mentioned, Tyrese Hurd. Uh, Jerron Morris out of uh, West Orange Stark High School in Orange, Texas. Mm-hmm. This dude knows winning. Three state championships. I watched him play in this past year's state championship his team won. He came up with a big interception. Dude is smart. He's undersized at 5'9", 158, 160. Not a very big guy, but he plays hard, and he's smart, and he's fast. Type of guy that knows how to play the game of football. I really liked when I really was excited when I saw he was coming to Texas State. And then who else would you like to help translate what the coach is saying other than the coach's son? Pierce Withers Pierce joining Withers. this team can bring a little bit more. Another really highly recruited guy. And another understanding to what Coach Withers wants to do because, again, he's been hearing about what Coach Withers has wanted to do since he was a kid. Mm-hmm. So he knows what his father's going to be looking for, and he knows how to might maybe assume an unassuming freshman leadership role in that he's not going to try and force it down that he's the coach's kid and no one's going to want to treat him like that, obviously. But he feels like he can bridge a gap a little bit. And make sure he clear up people. He's... Coach Everett Withers' kid, but that's not the only reason on this team. He's a, he's a three no, he, star. He's, he's a, a three star. He's good at what he does. Yeah, he was uh, offered by you know Air Force, Army, UMass, Navy, New Mexico State, a bunch of these other good schools. I'm just kind of point, throwing that out because one of my classes in this past summer, someone said that like in a, in a disgusting way. There, it was kind of like we could talk about how the coach's son is here on a full scholarship. I was like. He's a three-star Because he's athlete. a good football he's a, yeah, player. He's, it's not because he's, he's a He was son. Bowie's best player at <laughs> Bowie High School. I mean, he played everywhere for them. Yeah. So, yeah, for, for sure, Brendan. Hey, but especially, yeah, I mentioned that coming from Bowie, how big that is. Uh, just a system he came from. They always crank mm-hmm. out big players. Winning district in 2016. A lot of experience, a lot of good winning added to the team. Carries over well. And then you get uh, a few switches looking at the DBs, a former quarterback listed, Keyshawn Kelly. That'll had, be interesting. Yeah. Had to sit out last year because he was coming off a of shoulder surgery. Makes the move over from offense to defense, no longer in that quarterback fight. So you can you can see if he's going to make a statement. And then of course, uh, C.J. Johnson out of Allen High School. That's always a big. That's state. a big time school. That's a big time school. I mean, they got the most expensive high school stadium <laughs> they really do. in the country for good reason. That's true. They love to crank out a show. I also have to mention him. Y'all talked about it a little bit, but I want to give an in depth look at this guy, Dennis Johnson Jr. Now, here's the interesting thing about Dennis Johnson Jr. that I bet a lot of people that may listen to this podcast are going to be like, really? So Dennis Johnson Jr. is a senior. He's a transferred wide receiver. He used to be a wide receiver last year. He played in 10 games, caught four passes, Special 27 teams yards. Special teams guy. He's from San Antonio, Texas, where he played at John Paul Stevens. Coming out of high school, he played at Dodge City Community College. Does that ring a bell to either of y'all? No. Any of y'all? Dodge Does City. any of y'all watch Last Chance University? 
Dodge City is the biggest rivals of Independence University. That's interesting. So he played at Dodge City Community College as a team that was, I just thought that was interesting, a team that was meant, that was uh, featured in Last Chance U. They even talked to the coaches and everything. But anyway, he is, brings an intriguing guy to that secondary. Big, tall, lanky guy, 6'4", 185. He knows how to go up and get the ball. He's He's going to be just as tall, if not taller, than most of the receivers he's lined up against. So that'll be catch. That'll be an he he can catch interceptions. I mean, when he was at Dodge City, he played nine games, only caught twenty four passes for three hundred and ninety one yards, two touchdowns, two touchdowns. And how many yards did he average per reception? Sixteen point two nine. Feels good, doesn't it? Yeah. So you know he he knows how to cut off. So a he's big definitely play. a playmaker. Yeah, yeah and you know plays. he'll be aware of who to cut off on those big plays. Oh, absolutely. Because he's made a few of them himself. Did we talk about Josh Embry? No. Nope. Ring a bell. He's a freshman. I just looked him up. Dripping Springs. Dripping Springs defensive back. Love this kid. Six one one ninety. Very big. Did At I least, mention? Did I mention he's a state track winner too? For I did not know. So that. he's fast. You yes, say. super fast. Uh, named five A All State second team selection as a senior was a four-year all-district uh, 5A selection and tapped unanimous uh, – unanimous. Un- unanimous. Like unanimous. Oh, yeah. Non-disputed. Oh, my bad. Unanimous all-district first team as a – What has your education at Texas State gotten you, Peyton? Dude, I if guess you can't nothing. say unanimous. I'm sorry. I'm Steph Curry, unanimous MVP. I was getting ahead of myself. I was looking down a little bit. No, but thank uh, you for uh, pulling anyway. him up. Oh, absolutely. He, it's good. He could be a very good player, especially – like like we were saying that our defensive backs are going to be the one – are going to be the ones that need to step up, and I think they definitely went out and got some some talent. There's already three freshmen that we're very impressed by. Mm-hmm. No, Embry, uh, Embry's an interesting guy. Mm-hmm. I actually got to see a lot of Dripping Springs football last year, and Embry did a lot of did a lot of things for him. He played secondary, as he's going to do for the Bobcats. I, I I would imagine he'd get redshirted this year, if I'm being honest. Uh, but he's still an athletic guy. And I'll tell you what, if they needed, if the Dripping Springs Tigers, which is a very good football program, needed a big play, they went to Embry. And Embry is the fastest dude that I every every game he played in that I watched and I saw about six of their games he was the fast guy in the field every time and this is this is six A football it sounds good and he was the fastest guy in the field every single time this is a track star he's an interesting guy to keep an eye on before we move on to the next subject which I'm gonna give a quick recruiting update because I'm a big recruiting nerd I do want to mention a couple more guys Cordell Rogers you have to mention him of course played a lot of safety he's a big guy in that secondary you're gonna see him do a lot of things. Uh, you have to mention him, of course, and then uh, you also have to take a look at Josh Newman. He was a big recruit coming out of Cedar Hill, Texas, six foot two hundred at safety, a bigger safety. He's going to be a sophomore this year. Uh, Preston Dimery out of Kerrville, Texas, got some playing time as a freshman last year. So not out only is Tyvee. Kerrville Tyvee. That's Parker's old high school. It really How dare is. you Parker, disrespect that name? Parker uh, Parker loves Dimery. He talked about him all the time. Uh, he got some playing time. Tyvee. He got some playing time last year. Six foot one eighty five. Could see him. Not only getting some playing time in that secondary, but on special teams. Uh, so I think that's a pretty good look at our secondary, and I think we've all agreed that's a spot that the Bobcats really need to improve on. Before we move on, some final thoughts from all y'all on the secondary. Well, I was going to say real quick, because uh, yeah, yeah, all of us kind of put what you needs to improve. We put uh, secondary. I didn't. Yeah, I said they will improve. I said position position that needs to improve really the most. To be honest, it's quarterback. For Always. sure, for sure, for sure. <laughs> it's quarterback. I, Always. I, this team scored over 30 points twice last year. They averaged about 18 points a game. They they need things going offensively. I don't care if you're the best secondary in the league, if you're not moving the ball offensively. You're right, because the defense moving. really got crapped out there at the end of the year because they kept coming back on the field. Especially our defense, you know, last year didn't give up – a couple games, you know, they gave up the 60 to Troy. They gave up the 40 to New Mexico State. But by State. that time, they were gassed. Yeah, and, and a lot of times, you know, these were kind of some low-scoring games, 20 to Appalachian State. At uh, halftime. Yeah, exactly. A lot of low-scoring games, teams had a chance in. It's just you never felt comfortable offensively that the Bobcats are going to go get that score to win the For game. For sure. And if your defense is constantly coming back on the field because your offense can't perform and there's no hype in it because, I mean, once you get a touchdown, you know, it gets you a little bit more energy. It's kind of like just a, a nice little energy boost. Uh, but I saw, I, saw a, yeah. I saw a little chant on Twitter, a little chain of people who were going, you're a really terrible person if you start chanting when the offense is on the field and you're silent when the defense is going to work. Because you know it's the other way around. But we've seen people at these football games that start screaming when the offense is on the field, even though the signs say, quiet, offense at work. And that might be a subject for next show. <laughs> really <laughs> just talk about fan fan etiquette. Attendance and etiquette at Texas State football dumb? games. 
They're they're very dumb, but we'll get into that another time. Something to bring up maybe on the back to school broadcast this weekend. For sure, bunch of freshmen coming in. Let them know. But hey, don't be don't be idiots. Don't cheer when the offense is cheer after a big play. (laughs) Yes, and when the other team's trying to move the ball. Okay, Uh, I want to. So what I want to start doing on this show because you don't hear a lot of Texas State recruiting news in the area. So what I want to start doing every week, we're going to give you all our Texas State recruiting update because I think Texas State football recruiting is doing a lot better, and I think it's something that people need to be aware of. Listen to this. Last year, the Bobcats had a really good class. They had the they had the third best class in the Sun Belt? Fourth. Fourth. Uh, and they had eight or threes. Fifth. They had a 26-man class. Yeah, they had the fifth the best. The fifth best, 26-man. They had the second best the year before. No, they had the best the year before. Oh, did they? Yeah, in the Sun Belt. So they're doing better. Uh, they had a 26-man class, eight three-stars last year pretty solid some of those guys are going to have a role this year jacoby hopkins we've mentioned him already this year the bobcats have 16 commits for the 2019 class already how many three stars 10 10 10 three-star commitments and we could still have seven more on the way there could be quite a bit more more coming and and i'm gonna i'm gonna run you through some of the guys that just just committed in the past few weeks zach hayes out of jonesboro georgia committed a couple weeks ago on the 1st of August, six foot three, 300 pounds. He's in an offensive tackle. Big guy. He's a big boy. And then you look at uh, Keyshawn Williams out of Longview, Texas, a highly recruited tight end, 6'4", 230, committed this past week. Eric Two. Gibson out of Jefferson, Texas, an outside linebacker. An outside linebacker that runs a 4'4", 4, 4, 3 at 6'1", 190. So you're excited, you say. Dude, this is the most athletic linebacker Texas State's had in a long time. It'll Very be, much it, so. He'll be a really fun guy to watch when he gets to San Marcos. I'm just pumped with that how Texas State recruiting has been doing lately. Have you guys kind of seen the trend that we keep talking about? It seems like over the past few shows, especially with this, upcoming recruits, the last few recruiting class, how athletic the team is getting. They're getting freaks. I think that's you know definitely Coach Withers' emphasis is all these players we bring in, we're talking about oh how athletic they are, how long they are, how explosive they are. He's bringing in a lot of players that, you know, be game changers, and that's really what you need. And also serve as a challenge for the current player standing because, like, we're bringing in all these really, really talented kids to compete for your job that you have right now. So if you don't put in extra work, get to the gym earlier, finish later, go out there, make harder plays, better routes, then you could very well be replaced by these kids. But at the same time, you also have to think about stars only mean so much because if you look at the two captains that are going to be the captains this year, A.J. Krawczyk and Tyler Watts, both are on scholarship now, but they're both former walk-ons. So They worked harder than anybody. They, nothing beats hard work at the end of the day. Nothing. Uh, let's go ahead and run through Texas State women's soccer real quick. Texas State soccer, they defeated Incarnate Word 3 to nothing to kick off their year last week. Yes, queen. And they have a pretty exciting mm-hmm. weekend coming up. They have L.A. Tech this uh, tomorrow. L.A. Tech Very is a pretty good, good team, 14-3-5 yeah. last year. Uh, the two teams finished tied 1-1 to in their early season matchup a year ago. Uh, this will be an interesting game. Riley, what are you hoping to see? I'm hoping to see tomorrow just an early attack because, as we saw in the exhibition game, the Bobcats scored all three of their goals in the first half. And in two of those, you could see Kaylee Davis, Kaylee Davis, She's living up to the billing. She's looking to be a superstar. Yeah, she could be. And what was interesting was when me and Mark got to talk to Coach Connor, it's like he's expecting other players to step up in the roles of Cassie Hormuth and Rachel Grout from last year, not Kaylee Davis. She still wants. Kaylee Davis was in her own role last year. Yeah, Kaylee Davis was the sec was the complimentary, much like what Brooke Holly was for basketball. She already this last knew what year. was going to happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then you see two goals scored by Kaylee Davis, and you're like, okay. And she assisted in the other goal. Yeah, she did. Yeah. Paige Crossman, one of the freshmen. Coming on board, so you love to see the freshmen get involved. Of course, uh, I remember the exhibition versus UTSA last year, whom we will be broadcasting the home opener against them this Sunday. That'll be fun. Yeah, make sure to tune in that. UTSA uh, uh, won't say anything bad about them. We don't <laughs> like them, and we enjoyed their 3-14 and season last year. Texas State beat them 2 to nothing. looking to do it again this year. Shouldn't be that much will of be a game. Right he- no, hopefully not. Uh, that will back, be right back. here <laughs> on KTSW. Don't be that jinx. Starting at Locking 6 o'clock, Riley? Over here. Seven. Don't worry. 7 o'clock? Yeah, 7 o'clock. 6.45 seven. pregame. Sunday, make sure you tune into that. That'll be a that'll be a fun broadcast. Yeah, well. Uh, Riley, you'll be doing play-by-play. I'll do doing color. Brendan uh, will be our producer. I'll be sitting in the cool studio while you guys are outside. And in the heat. Real I quick, may quick. be able to report. Sting. Report captain. <laughs> All right, good. Uh, make good. sure to tune into that. Did you guys see uh, what they did to the soccer complex? No, nothing major, but uh, 
they added behind the seats, like on the bleachers, for sure. Just like some more like, yeah. banners. It says Texas State. It just okay. looks and nice. It makes it look a lot better than what it used to okay. be. Like, can we get some? Can we there. get some shaded umbrellas? It's supposed to be a hundred degrees Sunday. I don't want to die. A little, a little bit. awning. <laughs> I, I just bring sunscreen, Riley. We'll be all right. No, I I don't want to die, man. I <laughs> bring just lots don't. of water. All right, moving on to the next topic, I want to talk about Texas State men's basketball. I don't want to get too much into it because basketball is still a mile away. Uh, but the men's basketball schedule came out recently, uh, and there's some interesting games on it. I mean, you look at you look at uh, November 28th against Rice here in San Marcos. That'll be a fun one. That'll be nice. Uh, Arkansas, they're playing Arkansas at Arkansas in December of 20, 22nd of December. That's going to be a fun That's one. That's a big school. As Parker would say, Sue Pig. You <laughs> <laughs> really would. And then, of course, they will start conference play on January 3rd against Georgia Southern. Uh, quick thoughts on the schedule. What do you all guys think? Uh, personally, I I want the Texas State men's basketball team to be willing to take on tougher challenges, and I'm happy they're opening their season November 9th versus Air Force, and which is supposed to be the grand unveiling of the new Strayan Arena. Also here in San Marcos, that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, so I'm glad they're bringing that. But I was personally a little disappointed in, in the non-conference schedule because I don't feel like it's challenging enough. There's There's two or three, like, teams that like oh yeah everybody knows that team but there's not a you know there's there's not a texas a&m now granted it's we don't have any mcmurray's on the roster this year which is oh i would say hard i would (laughs) say harden simmons is exactly like a mcmurray uh, don't worry it's a little more prestigious have you ever heard of drake university though uh actually no i didn't know drake had his own university (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's in dayton see okay what what i like about the schedule this year is there is a little bit more of like an oomph factor if you know what i mean uh air force is just i mean it's air force it seems i mean it's big ish i'm circling Uh, rice is very rice is gonna be a fun one Uh, and then right after that at utsa utsa is gonna be a nice one after blowing that lead last year yes and reminding me He's no, like, <laughs> I was there calling that game. It was an awful. I can't forget it, it was an awful game. Let's not forget it. Awful finish. Because if we forget it, then history re- will repeat itself. But anyway, yes. And then Arkansas going like later into the year. That's probably going to be the biggest game and hardest challenge that they have uh, for non-conference. Yeah, for non-conference. Well, that's what I like the most. It's right before conference. It's the yeah, second exactly. Last game it's that final push. So much like Rice was this last year. Can you imagine them getting a dub uh, from Arkansas, walking into that conference with a big head and actually like performing, beating an SEC's team? Exactly, and that and like the other teams will also be. They'll also say, "Wow, this little Sun Belt team that uh, the little Sun Belt team that could the little Sun Belt team that could that had a terrible record last year came in and turned their season around and had a good. uh, It's not that their record was terrible. Terrible. It was disappointing. Like majorly disappointing. The nine-game okay, losing streak almost was terrible. I mean, those were. It was disappointing. It's like a when your son or or your kid comes home and does something wrong, and you're like, I I've seen you do better, and I'm so disappointed in you. It's like what it was the year before. They did so much better, and I didn't expect them to be that good, but I still felt really let down. I just saw the the game uh, for coast. I think it was Coastal Carolina, the first game that they opened up, and they blew a ten-point lead in fifty seconds. So. Um, the UTSA game, they blew a nine-point lead in 70. Are you talking about the game that, that went overtime and it ended it was 49-49 at regulation? Nah, uh, maybe. No, I don't think so. Oh, they hosted Col- oh, that was an ugly But game. I like your joke about Na- about uh, Drake University because you know what their center's called? Nap center. That's where you go to take a sleep. That's where you go to go to sleep. Real quick. It's a nap one, center. Do you guys see in the schedule, do you guys see the new ULM logo? What do they do? University of Louisiana Monroe, their logo uh, threw me off. I thought it was a whole new school in our conference. Really? I, I haven't seen it yet. Let me, let's get down. Hey, here. Arkansas State's it's, logo it, is it, pretty it's, nice. It's a little bit of different colors. and What the? Ugh. Yep, yep. That, it's, that, it's not the Warhawk. freaky. It's, it's not the giant Warhawk head. No, but it, it's still the Warhawk. It kind of looks Louisiana Lafayette-ish, like they're trying to copy the Raging Cajuns. Interesting. Well, after they went 14-4 and four last year, I, I don't blame them, 16-2 and two <laughs> in conference <laughs> play. And had an NBA draft pick. Kevin Kevin Hervey, the dude that broke our hearts. Oh wait, no, no, that was that was UTA. Yeah, yeah, you guys talking about UTA? UTA. That's I my I bad. I don't know what team you guys are talking about. I missed he was that. Saying, he said Louisiana UTA. Lafayette. That's I my bad. UTA oh, is mistake be a on my part. Bit more difficult oh, this step. year than last year. Okay, I kind of have some major news I just found on Twitter about an hour ago. Oh boy, major football news: Texas State future scheduling. Baylor. Yes. Twenty twenty one. Yeah. Interesting. And they're they're gonna a three game series with Baylor. Baylor comes here in twenty twenty one. Texas State goes to Waco 2022 and 2023. 
So we're gonna cry we're, in 2021, is what you're saying. So we we it, just gotta big, we just gotta hope that Baylor's having an off year when we go like the, last year. Yeah, unless some some crazy changes in 2021. That game when Baylor comes into town, that'll be the second time a Power Five team has came into San Marcos. Mm-hmm. G5 versus P5. I really I'm thinking about it as wow Baylor has gone downhill so fast that they're already playing us. Well, that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, you know, uh, they had that one hot year. That both and then hurts me and makes me feel happy at the same time. <laughs> had one hot year and then blew it. All right, guys. Uh, we were going to talk about the Urban Meyer debacle right here, but something happened recently that I want to bring up with you guys because uh, it's very uh, crucial to us at Texas State in the Sunbelt Conference. Sunbelt Commissioner Carl Benson announced he'll be stepping down. Really? That's very interesting. He's leaving his post, uh, and he's been here for a long time. Uh, he, he turns 67 in December. He's been the commissioner since 2012. Uh, what does that mean for Sunbelt football? How much of a change is the Sunbelt Conference going to see, if any? Well, I think it means that once he steps down, they better find someone from a higher conference to step up and take that spot and take this conference someplace it's never been before. I think that's a, that's a very good statement. I think uh, you want to see someone who's you know maybe not the top of the ladder in the Big 12 or the SEC to take that spot and – uh, say okay this is what we need to do to take the next step we need someone that can go and make those go into those smoke-filled rooms make those deals or ask people okay what <laughs> do we i know like those dark depressed room where people it's in power like sit. the 1920s of course uh, to be fair 1950s, thank you very much to be fair we do need to give carl benson a big uh you know round of applause because carl benson was very crucial in texas state even joining. Beco- even joining the Sun Belt and becoming a Division One team, uh, we when we first joined, we were going to join the the WAC, the Western Athletic Conference, and but then they stopped sponsoring. But then football. They, they stopped sponsoring football, and we were left to go back to D two. And Carl Benson said, uh, "We want sh- we want I, a Texas I, I, I want you in the Sun Belt Conference. I yeah. want Texas representation." He chose us to do that. Uh, of course, then UTA joined fairly shortly after, but they don't play football. Um, but so he did do a lot of good for Texas State University. Uh, so. While we want to see improvement in the Seminole Conference with new leadership, we do have to thank him for what he did to even get us in the conference. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Benson. I really just hope that somebody else doesn't come in and decide that we're not worthy. One, not, not even just that. I mean, uh, like, because we're a big enough college. Like, if you look at like our attendance and whatnot, fourth we biggest have college a great in Texas. Location. And, and yeah, and we have a perfect location. But great facilities. I don't, I just don't want someone to come in and just be like, yeah, I'm just going to change it up a bit. You know, <laughs> let's shake <laughs> things up a bit. You know, just kind of. <laughs> what I want is someone. I, I want you. I want you. What I want is someone that, A, I want more Texas teams in the Sun Belt outside of us for football. Because I feel like that would help fan attendance and that we take Texas rivalries to I really pride. think just all Texas teams should just have their own, like... The Lone Star Conference. The Lone Star the Lone Conference. St- or the Southwest Conference on a comeback. Either one. Either one. But, hey, news right now, I told them during the meeting, but Texas State Volleyball is actually playing their first exhibition game right now. Versus SMU. Oh, let's get the SMU. updates on that. 13-11 Texas State. Okay. So far, the point spread has been eight and a half points goes for our new star setter, Cheyenne Husky. So she's currently leading the team in that total. Then right behind her, Sarabi Worsley-Gilbert, one of the new kids on the block, making some pretty good statements so far. Then you see uh, six kills brought to you by Cheyenne Husky. You see six kills for Megan Porter, Sarabi Worsley-Gilbert. I mean, Haley Brewer even getting involved in the action. So, so far... Texas State is doing really, really well. I never worry about Texas State volleyball as long as Karen Chisholm's here. I expect us to at least compete. I just I don't worry about it. She brings in top recruits. She she's the, one of the most. She's let's say it. She's the best volleyball coach in NCAA. She's got the skills. She's amazing. She's uh, got mad exactly. Skills. She has Texas State competing year in and year out. So uh, she's one of the legends. She really is. She's she's an NCAA coaching legend. I don't think there's any disputing that. My favorite thing probably uh, today, uh, junior Connor Wood tweeted at Dirk Nowitzki saying, hey, Deers at Swish 41. I hope you're in the area. Texas State volleyball team is playing SMU at 530 at SMU's gym. Love, Connor. (laughs) (laughs) She said, hashtag, please come. You know, make my dream come true. Me being a Dallas guy, them being an SMU makes sense. I tweet at Dirk, too, and if I was playing in the area. He's probably getting there right now. It's just going to take him a little while to run that far. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure old man Dirk will make an appearance. Old man Dirk stepping up, ready to serve. I think Dirk Nowitzki actually just teleports to every every, every Every location. location. I think he's just so tall he can just step there. Yeah, You're right. You're right. Okay, guys. Um, for the for the last couple minutes of the show, there's been some really uh, controversial topics 
in sports media recently. Some of them very recent, some of them have been going on for a while. What I want to touch on first, I'm a baseball guy, and we're not going to talk any of our particular teams. I want to talk, touch on something. Ronald Acuna Jr., he's the center fielder for the Atlanta Braves. A star in the 20 making. years old, looks like, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say it, he looks like the next coming of Mike Trout. Looks just like him, plays just like him. Uh, I think... He's an upcoming superstar. He had homered in five straight games. He was single-handedly whooping the Miami Marlins' butt. Uh, and so we come into the fourth game of the series, and Miami Marlins, debatably best, and that's quotations, best, starting pitcher Jose Urena. Uh, in the first pitch of the game, Acuna has been leading off. He led off every game of the series with a home run. Throws a 97-mile-per-hour fastball into Acuna's back, and Acuna was taken out of the game. Of course, he played again today. He's hell, He's fine. Uh, but scary moment. You know who's and not fine? Here, and before we really jump into it, I want to give you all the details, okay? Uh, Jose Urena averages about 94 to 96 on his fastball, uh, maybe 93 to 95 normally. That's the one that where hit he Acuna? The hardest one he's ever thrown at 97.3 miles per hour. And people are trying to say it's not intentional. Come on now. Come on now. You don't fire back and throw that hard. And, and, you know, throw the hardest you've ever thrown it into a dude's back. And it's like, oh, it slipped. Come on now. And you definitely got to think, you got to remember these two teams, Miami and Atlanta, two rivals, both in the same. Uh, For sure. Both in the same division. Going back to the Florida days. Both probably, you know, a little salty of, or at least in the Marlins case, the Marlins being, both teams are bad the past, what, three, four years? Like, mm-hmm. Bottom of the bucket. The, the Marlins are still down there. The Braves somehow found their way out of it. Because they got season. young talent. Well, they rebuilt very well. The, the GMs and stuff did a great job of acquiring very – I mean, obviously, yeah. Albies and Acuna in the same lineup. Freddie Freeman, front runner for NL MVP. For sure. Brian Snitker. Nick Markakis. Give him some credit. First time All-Star, though I felt like it was a long time coming. For sure, for sure. And then, of course, their manager, Over Brian Snitker, hits. obviously in running for NL Manager of the Year. You got uh, They tried Shelby Miller for Dansby Swanson. Mm-hmm. Who's and that gym. Who, and who's, ba- who's Dansby Swanson again? Oh, wait, that superstar first round, first overall pick shortstop? Yeah. Out of right. Vanderbilt? Yes. Can't hit much yet. He'll and uh, how's Shelby doing right now in Arizona? Then, uh, exactly <laughs> right. Anyway, going back to the to the issue we were talking about, um, no, I don't think he you should be allowed to throw a 97-mile-an-hour yeah, fastball into, <laughs> into a man's back. back. So here, yes. here's, yeah, here's the question uh, I want to pose on you guys. Uh, and this isn't so much about this specific incident because uh, some some back some more it's information. It's been settled. Urania was suspended six games, yeah, for hitting him. He did get ejected in the game for hitting uh, Acuna. Um, but here's what here's a guy. I want, here's a question I want to ask you because this has been the debate: um, Is hitting a guy who's been kicking your butt uh, in a series like this and just hitting home runs off of you? And, and it's not like Acuna has been pimping it or anything. He's just been playing very well and simply beating them. Is pl- plunking the player part of baseball? Is it a fair part of baseball? Is it something we're going to accept as part of baseball? Or is it a little scummy? Or is it situation by situation? That's that's another question to ask. Personally, I don't support any situation that calls for you to intentionally hit someone. Mm-hmm. Like try and inflict damage to their body, which they work hard to maintain and play 162 games out of the year in whatever conditions you get. So I don't feel like it should be a part of it. And luckily, Joe Madden, the Cubs manager agrees with me because he said there's a Neanderthal aspect of this game that needs to go away. And plunking, I feel, even though <laughs> Nolan Ryan did quite a fair share of it back in his day, anytime he gave up a home run and that was just the way things were, I feel like we're moving away from that. I and was I, going to talk about the vice versa aspect. Like the fact that, say, like you can't hit off a pitcher, so then you rush the mound, you know, like, or well, whatnot. Like, yeah. So. Uh, kind of, kind of like what I was talking to you about before the show. Yeah, if, exactly. Is it fair if the batter, if the guys don't know hitter through eight, so one of the batters decides to run up and hit him with a bat? Is that fair? Exactly. Is it basically the same thing? Is it not? Uh. So I mean, it's not the same. Going up there and just slugging, slugging the pitcher right in the I, head, like I, well, that's pretty. Oh, you're, you're beating us too bad, man. Uh, yeah, it. like I have to go fight you. Like it, we're not. This is not the NHL. This is the MLB. But. It, at the same time, it's an old baseball thing. It's exactly. Like you that's, hit home it run, is I tra- beg you. Exactly. That, that's kind of what I was hitting at. Baseball, you know, mentioned the Neanderthal kind of thing. It's because they have such a history of that. That's the tradition. Mm-hmm. Baseball is like that once more. We have not really touched much. Well, we haven't changed it. What is history if it, if you can't learn and change? Like, you this die if you don't change. Or what if they just make a rule that you can't throw it over 90 miles an hour to hit well, somebody? And, and that's well, that's kinda, too much. That's kind of what I want to talk about. This is where I want to talk about it might be more of a situation by situation. Because if he had thrown... An 85 mile per hour fastball, just to make a point, 
you know, it's going to bruise a little bit. It's not going to, it almost, or like a six, taken out of the game. Or six, like 60 miles an hour just so he could walk him. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, in a, it, it, it's, they've already taken away that. You don't even need to, you just say, all right, I'm going to intentionally oh, walk okay. you. Yeah. And you take it to I didn't so, know that. I, I, it would be different if he threw it at 80 miles an hour just to make a point. You know, it's like, mm. hey, that's for kicking our butts. We're not letting you swing the bat. But here's the, a toss up pitch. Yeah, exactly. But, um, <laughs> The fact that he threw the hardest fastball, he was trying to hurt Okunia. Like it's there's no, no and avoiding undoubtedly, it. he yes. was trying to do damage, and that's where a more situation by situation uh, take has to be given to this situation. Because if he had thrown a seventy eight mile per hour curveball into his back, we wouldn't be talking about this at all. It'd have been like, okay, I'll take my hit and go to first. And that's where that old style fashion comes in a little bit. Uh, part of me wants to say, suck it up, it's baseball, take the hit and take your base. But the other part of me is like, but I don't. If they did that to Carlos Correa, yeah. I'd be really mad. Yeah, so, yeah. you'd hate that. You don't want to see your own, your own player intentionally getting hit just because he's playing well. Especially just when he's, he's your well. young superstar. Yeah, it just yeah. It's, I mean, that's like punishing I, a guy when in reality you should look at yourself like, well, you're the one that I, threw the sucky pitch. It is exactly. a little childish. So. And I, I kind of think with baseball, since he hit him in the back, well, granted, an injury still could have stabbed happened. him in the well, back. He was aiming it, for the back. It actually hit him in the him. elbow because of the way Acuna turned. Yeah. Which, which that's when things get scary. He hit someone in the elbow, the forearm, the hand. Those break all the time in baseball, getting hit by a pitch. Mm-hmm. But you know, flip it. Say different sport. Say it's basketball. Say someone just you know dunked on me fourteen times. The difference, I can throw a pitch at someone and they'll probably be all right. In basketball, what do we see in the, uh, the Celtics Cavs games when J.R. Smith undercut Al Horford? You know, that's the difference. You, mm-hmm. you, you can nice. tear your ACL. You can no, yeah. end your career Or you right go to there. the NFL where you have a freaking bounty on players. Like, uh, it's, exactly. I think that's one thing. Yeah. Like, we think baseball, it's not as, you know, severe. It still could be, but it's just not as much as chance other sports. as it being severe. And, like, baseball, you can kind of get away with that more. But at the same time, if you're going to outlaw it in the other sports, regardless of the severity, shouldn't it be monitored in baseball as well? I mean... It's still going to hurt you, especially with the toll your body takes from playing baseball sometimes with no days off. 162 games, and that's not counting spring. In the span of five months. That's not counting spring training or the uh, postseason. Winter ball or postseason. So uh, you could play 250 baseball games in a 365 day year. And so you take a stinger in the back like that, and it takes you off the payroll for a week. And some of these guys, not most of these players are not Ronald Acuna. They don't have their job secure. For sure. It's like if a football player on third string got injured, now he's thinking about, oh, crap, they're going to cut me because mm-hmm. they can get rid of me, replace me with someone else. For sure. So it's something like that, and that's why I don't want it to be a part of the game anymore. Going on to something super spicy, Reed, how do you feel about automated uh, strike zones? Strike zones? Yeah, I want to get to this. There was something, and, I, and thank you for doing that, mm-hmm. Baden. There was something that happened this past week that cracked me up. So Ben Zobers plays for the Cubs. He got struck out, called out looking. And he ha- next time he went to the plate, he went up to the umpire very calmly and had this conversation with him and didn't like what he heard from the umpire. And so he told the umpire, this is why we want electronic umpires. And the umpire promptly <laughs> ejected him. And I want to talk about <laughs> – I just think it's a funny moment. I wanted to mention it. But that also brings up the question, what are y'all's thoughts on at least experimenting in minor league baseball, college baseball with electronic umpiring? Because – I personally love the human aspect of umpires being in the game, but at the same time, the way Ben Zorbers put it in his interview, uh, pitchers are good enough as it is. We're trying to put quality to bats together. We can't have umpires who are calling strikes on the side of the plate, you know, that are two inches off, five, three inches off the plate, which make a big difference. We can't have them calling those ball, those strikes. So what are y'all's thoughts on, what are y'all's stances on that? And, if you were to make that change, how would you go about it? I think it's a really good idea, just in the sense that uh, we have the technology now that we could make it to where it's super accurate mm-hmm. and and it, like more accurate than like mine, yours, anybody's eye could detect it because it's getting you. I mean, that ball is being thrown a hundred miles an hour nearly. Uh, sometimes it's hard to keep track with, and it take like you're an ump is sitting there for however long a baseball game takes With two people in front it, of it goes either from like two and a half hours to like i've seen a baseball game like seven hours sometimes you oh, know for just, sure, for sure. yeah and two people in front of him that he has to kind of like look around I, I don't know sometimes and uh sometimes in games you know they have the little box for you uh while you're watching it on the tv and i've seen calls it's right like the slip is right outside the box and they'll still call it a strike and i'm sitting there like okay well that didn't look like it's but you know yeah, i'm not there 
how, how time, I would go about it is I think that you could have a baseball made of like a specific baseball. And yes, you might that might be a little cost-worthy because the, they lose a lot of baseballs. With a track in it. With a yes, sensor in with it. A Very sensor. small sensor. Wouldn't change anything. And you have it just to where if it goes over that plate at all, like you'll be able to know. And like with the sensor, you automatically can like but pick the up time, the speed of there, the baseball. There are pitchers in the major leagues, and, and if they went to electronic umpires, this could change, that rely on getting those corner calls. A prime example of that is Dallas Keuchel. Dallas, when he's on, when Dallas like, Keuchel is getting the calls on the corners. He's you know hitting the bottom of the strike zone, getting those ground balls, getting the calls. If it's an automatic strike zone, I'm going to be honest, Dallas Keuchel's not in the league because, I mean, his good games come from when he gets some friendly calls and gets the ground balls. He gets them play, the batters to swing out of the zone. So not all, it would change the game so drastically – I, so the way I think about it, I don't mind us going to an electronic umpire. I just think we need to still have humans. So you know how in baseball, you they changed it a few years ago to where you can now call a replay. Or you can challenge a play. Why can't you challenge pitches? You get five challenged pitches a game. I could, yeah, Fair. I could work with that. And then while it would add to the length of the game, which if you don't like, if you're mad about how long baseball games are, you're not a baseball fan anyway. But... <laughs> uh, why would a system like that? I feel like would be just fine, but I don't know. What are y'all's thoughts, Brendan? Actually, I kind of like that a lot. Uh, having the, the pitches, the challenge, and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I was thinking more of something else that you take away if you add something like electronic umpires. Something I hear about every every game I watch, this and that. The uh, the art of the catcher framing a ball. When you know when the catcher gets the pitch and he kind of moves it quickly into the strike zone. That that's an art. That's framing. framing it. That's mm-hmm. yeah, that's part of baseball. Uh, it makes a big difference. I don't I don't like the idea of automated. Taking umps. that away. Yeah, I don't like the idea of automated umps. You don't do that in other sports. You get, you know, you complain about foul calls in basketball and penalties in football. Mm-hmm. You don't get to overturn those, review those. It's it's human error, and I don't know. To me, and it's I, just part of the game. And that's kind of where I go back to. I still think um, human umpiring is such a big part of baseball. It's such a drastic change to make, and I think it would change the way the game's played, and it would it wouldn't just wouldn't be the same. Riley, you're a big baseball guy. What are your thoughts? My thoughts originally, I thought this would be a great idea because it would make it a highly efficient call every single time. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't get any of these little leaners inside that get those lucky benefit calls from a human eye. Everything which would be clean and cut. Yes, but looking at it, there are a couple things they can do right now to help increase efficiency for human umpires that I feel aren't being properly addressed. For one thing, you have most of these guys playing on turf, standing there in a crouch position in black shirts in the dead heat of the sun, for three to four hours out of the day. Or more. Or more. And you only give them one bottle of water to go out there and take. Now, they do get refills, <laughs> but I don't think it's enough. Major League, I'm sure. It's they're... getting hotter. These people are could be having heat strokes out there at any moment. Unless you have, like, Minute Maid and you have a roof. Yes. Or, like, Globe Life in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> Globe Life Field, yes. Very true. So, that's yeah. one well major played. area. <laughs> that's one major area I feel can address it. And help make this a much more efficient affair in that, again, I do appreciate the human aspect of it. I think it connects well with people because pitchers make mistakes. They give up home runs. Batters make mistakes. They strike out through a middle-of-the-plate pitch. Umpires make mistakes. So you're more on the side of for, for the umpires to improve, we need to treat them better. Yes. Okay, here, here it is. Step one, before we move on to the next thing because we're getting kind of low on time. Step one to fixing this, this is only... Fire Angel Hernandez. Okay, he's terrible. Okay, on to the next subject. I ran a poll. Tell me how you really feel. <laughs> I ran a poll recently on the KDSW chat. I'm very disappointed with all of y'all. I'm disappointed with your choices. There was a correct answer. Oh, I didn't get best baseball movie ever. I didn't vote, but I mean, my vote. I disagree with the choices. I didn't feel it was wide. Okay, the only movie I feel like I should have concluded on there was Major Leagues because Major Leagues definitely deserved Bull Durham. Man, I don't put Bull Durham up there, man. It's got too much comedy. It's not enough baseball. It's the perfect mix. What a hater. <laughs> it's what okay. minor league ball is like. 42 I feel is like the, the fact that the Sandlot didn't it, win it and 42 won infuriates me. Come on now. I, I that is Sandlot. an issue. Come on now. Hey, Wakanda forever, 40, okay? That is an issue. 42 is such a good 42 movie. is good, but how much baseball is actually in that movie? It's a good amount. How much it's baseball? A, it's, it's a compared, two. Hour, it's a two-hour movie, and there's about thirty minutes to twenty-five minutes of baseball. I would say there's about forty minutes of baseball. There is not that much baseball, and it, there's about as much baseball in forty-two as there is in Sandlot. Probably more because they're I don't know about getting that. a ball from a dog the whole time. So I'm playing baseball the whole time. 
They're yeah, playing yeah. baseball the entire Jim, Jim and Sam. No. The dog doesn't come in until like, they're over halfway and they're through. And ch- they're getting after the dog because they want to get their baseball back so that they can play baseball. It's all about baseball. It's about the love of the game for baseball. And I it's about lo- Babe Ruth. The, yeah, the, the, I love Jackie OG Robinson. And, and, and 42 okay, okay, is a great okay. movie that tells a great story. Does it talk about the love of the game for baseball? You could. No, it doesn't. <laughs> I'm sorry. And, and the fact that... And I mean, it, the, you didn't. And maybe you didn't specifically say that the topic was what movie represents the love of baseball the most. <laughs> you, said, you said what's the best baseball movie, and I then you can't include a movie that doesn't answer. have baseball that much baseball in it. What do you mean? I've I personally, only seen my like favorite three the, baseball my, movies in my life. My favorite is The Rookie. I love The Rookie. It's all about baseball. It's about Dennis Quaid, aka Jim Morris. Making his, uh, he's a great story. I'm Ooh, sure y'all actually, know. Actually, the best baseball movie is, um, what is it, Million Dollar Man? Million Dollar Arm? Million Dollar Arm. The, the kids from uh, India. India. That's a good movie. Wait. That oh, no, not movie. that one. Uh, the yeah. one with, like, is it Bernie Mac? That's Mr. 3000. Mr. 3000. That yes, that's a quality <laughs> baseball movie. No, the best baseball it's, it's everyone's <laughs> hero. Okay. Everyone's here is a great movie. Everyone's here. All right. That's going to do it for us today on Texas State Spit Talk. I think we covered a lot of things. Uh, I hope you all are ready to watch the Texas State secondary dominate in 2018. Bull Durham, best baseball movie. Yeah, shut up. And know the best players (laughs) and know which you'll be able to watch a Texas State game and be like, hey, I know that guy because Riley Chestnut and all those other guys on Texas State Spit Talk told me about that guy. Yeah. So I hope you all enjoyed today's show. We keep you educated. Uh, we, just, we will be, of course, going air every Friday at noon. You've, you've listened to Texas State Spit Talk uh, provided by KTSW. Good night, everybody.